difference between where we're at in chapter 12 and what happens in chapter 19. But essentially, um, Jesus has started his journey to Jerusalem. He slowly makes his way down from Galilee, um, comes through Jericho. The story right before we're going to read is Jesus talking to Zacchaeus, um, forgiving him as he goes through Jericho. And then he comes up into Bethany, which is the Mount of Olives, and then he's going to come into Jerusalem today. Uh, but today we're going to read the full account of the triumphal entry. So typically, you usually just read Jesus coming in, he's worshipped, and that's it. But today we're actually going to read what he does in addition to that, which is he weeps for the city, and he also uh, cleanses the temple on the same day. So I think that gives a much fuller picture of what Palm Sunday is or what the triumphal entry is. Uh, so it's chapter 19, verse 28. And we're just going to read to the end of the chapter. Um, and I know the kids are a little distracting today, a little loud. We're almost outnumbered. I think it's, I think it's six to seven today. So uh, but hang in there. Let's just talk louder. And let's press in. Um, so could somebody read? Uh, we just have two people read it. It's not that long. Let me read. Okay. First, first part. Okay. We're going to do 28 to the end of the chapter. I'll also read. Sweet. Thanks for Are you wanting them to read it like <clears throat> twice? Can you read the whole thing and then he read the whole thing? Yeah. Oh. Is that too long? No, 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 no. no, no. Right. I didn't know that's what, clear. Yeah, 28 to the end? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay. All right. 20 verses. <clears throat> and when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say, this, You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they, sat Je- they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. For now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. 
and he was teaching daily in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. But they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. After Jesus had said this, he continued on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. Now he approached, when he approached Bethany, at a place called the Mount of Olives, he set up, sent up two disciples, telling them, Go to the village ahead of you. When you enter it, you will find a colt tied that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent ahead found exactly as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and had Jesus get on it. As he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he approached the road, leading down from the Mount of Olives, the whole city, and the whole crowd of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answers, I tell you, if they keep silent, the very stones will cry out. Now when Jesus approached and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, If you had only known on this day, even you, the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and surround you and close in on you from every side. They will demolish you your children within your walls, and they will not weave within you one stone on top of another, because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. Then Jesus entered the temple courts and began to drive out those who were selling things there, saying to them, It is written, My house will be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of robbers. Jesus was teaching daily in the temple courts, and the chief priests and experts in the law and the prominent leaders among the people were seeking to assassinate him, but they could not find a way to do it. For the people hung on his very words. Sweet. Okay, so all these things happen on Sunday. So they happened today, 2,000 years ago, or however long ago. Um, um, okay, so we're going to do the sword questions. So the first question, what do we learn about God or about Jesus from these verses? I'll just give a recap real quick. So Jesus essentially sends some disciples ahead. They get uh, a colt and a donkey. And Jesus rides into town on the colt. And everybody worships him. Uh, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Son of David. All these things. And then uh, Jesus begins to weep over the city. And says, if you had known the things would make peace. Um, if you had recognized the day of visitation. But as it is. Essentially, Jerusalem is going to be surrounded and destroyed by its enemies. Um, and then he goes into the temple, and he essentially clears out all the money changers, um, everyone who is uh, buying and selling animals there, and then 
Um, he says, essentially, my house should be a house of prayer. He made a den of robbers. And then he leaves. And then it says for the rest of that week, he's teaching the temple and the chief priests uh, and the scribes, two opposing parties, are working together to try to get him killed by the end of the week. Okay. So what do we learn about God or about Jesus from these verses? I find it pretty miraculous that uh, they were able to just say, the Lord needs it. <laughs> take a cult. Because, like, you know, a thief would probably say that. You know, <laughs> you know oh, the Lord needs it. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Like, they just took that at its word and were like, okay, take it. I think that speaks to God's ability to work in the hearts of anybody. I mean, it's not like these are disciples of Jesus. I mean, they could have been. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. the but it's not like they said Jesus needs it. So I think, it, I think the only explanation for me there is that just God, God moved in their hearts. Mm -hmm. and they were like, oh, Yeah, if, you know, he's, it's like he says he's weeping over it, and then he's talking about how it's going to be destroyed. Like, and it's like, he's not saying, like, if God wanted to change his mind, which, that, what the meaning of change, God changes his mind, whatever, where he wants to, God doesn't change his mind, whatever. but, like, if God wanted to make another way, and preserve Jerusalem and like the holy city and all of this stuff. He could do it if he wanted to. And he could snap his fingers and make it happen. But uh, like God has prescribed destruction upon Jerusalem. And he's not going to change that. But he doesn't need both. It. Still saddens him and breaks his heart. But it's like, uh, it's like uh, in, in Samuel where. You know, Saul uh, doesn't follow the, the Lord's will with the Amalekites. And then uh, the Lord passes over Saul and chooses another to be the anointed king of Jerusalem, uh, of the Israelites. And it says, on that day, God regretted that Saul had been made king. And really, what it's saying is like, God is like, it's disappointing. It's, he wishes that. Or however it looks, like you've got to be careful with anthropo like anthropomorphization of God. Like his emotions do not make him similar to ours, but like he's saddened by this event. Like he wishes, like if it, if it was another way to make it happen, it would, he would do that. But without the suffering, but this is the only way, right? And then so like they're a failure to recognize Jesus and like, his prophecy of that. It's like. The only way is the destruction of Jerusalem. It also brings to mind, like, for me, like, I was thinking about, um, like, the, all the conflict over the Gaza Strip and, and Jerusalem and all of that right now. And so, and I was just kind of thinking about 
And this is kind of a tangent, right? But uh, sorry, I just feel like I, I wanted to share it. Um, so like, we struggle like, are we supposed to support the Israelites? Are we supposed to support um, the Jews that are in that area as Christians? But like, like their destruction is prescribed. Like that city's destruction is prescribed. Like so, are we really called to protect, like the holy city Jerusalem? Are we really called to, or, or is that just having attachment to something? I don't know. Is it interesting? Yeah, that's like a much bigger discussion. Yeah, that's a really good one. Yeah. No, yeah, that's like a whole <laughs> theological class right there. Right. <laughs> I think it's amazing how Jesus is writing in and they're praising him and yet he's still like he has the foreknowledge and the wisdom to know like he's about to be rejected even though they're like all praising him he knows he's about to be rejected um, and he literally says uh, if you had known the things that make for peace I think he's talking about like essentially his crucifixion providing their salvation it's like he already knows that even as they're praising him he's about to be crucified um, I just don't think anybody would have predicted as he's coming in that he's going to be crucified like five or six days later but he knows it's up. Um, and it brings remorse in his heart over there. not necessarily fear that he's going to die he's courage too he's so courageous just to march into the city he's about to be killed him. yeah it's like there's a <clears throat> a good balance of like God's plan unfolding but not <clears throat> so systematic that Jesus doesn't have a notion over what's going on. Yeah. Um, so there's just like a, a perfection to his character and the way that he <clears throat> yeah, would go about all his events. It's also really interesting that he's coming in. They're essentially declaring him like their king. He literally says, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And I think you would accept that the first thing he would do would be like something to overthrow Rome or something. But instead, the first thing he does is clear out the temple. And it just kind of shows Jesus' priority. Like his, he's like laying hold of the Jewish people in their hearts. He's not worried about like this Roman occupation of Israel. Right. At all. That's not really enslaved them. Yeah, yeah, he's after them. He the wants real to be pressure is coming in there, in their hearts. That's right, yeah. Um, if you see anything else about Jesus or God, you can always bring it up. We'll move on. Um, there are some things we learn about people from these verses. People can be praising God, but then still not even have a right, full recognition of what he's doing. Like, like you said, all the people sitting here worshiping God, coming into the, the worshiping Jesus, you know, he comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And not too long from now, they're going to be called for his head. Yeah. Uh, him over to the Pontius Pilate. Um, Take a murderer back, like traditionally, instead of him. Yep. 
calling for his crucifixion. And what are we to do with this man? Crucify him. Yeah. And how quickly our hearts change. And not only that, but they, we can worship God. Do it for the wrong reason. This is kind of a learn about God and people, but yeah, just so clear here, like when he's weeping and saying, now they are hidden from your eyes, that like, why are we surprised that people reject us when we've literally rejected Jesus? Yeah. Um, yeah. And their eyes have to be like closed for <clears throat> this like plan to go forth. I think part of the reason for that the violence of the rejection is that he failed to meet their expectations for him. You know, he didn't fail to do his, what he came to do. He came to do, it didn't change the whole process, I mean, do the whole thing. He had one goal, one mission. But then when he failed to meet the expectations they had for him, I think we can see that in our own lives too. Yeah. But that violent, we have a, a, a something within our flesh wants to violently reject God when He doesn't meet our expectations. For him. Yeah, I think that's really good because the so chief priests and the scribes, Pharisees, are like totally two different parties of people. They both had different expectations of what the Messiah would be like. And this week, essentially, Jesus is just like showing both of them that their expectation is wrong, and they don't like it, and so then they crucify him. Both parties work together, um, and so I think you're right. I think it's just like as people, we just have like expectations of what God should be like and what He should do and who He should be, and it's like He doesn't always meet our expectations, and that's okay. It's like He's He's above our ways. We're called to accept uh, how we're, we're wrong about that. Yeah, shows us different. Right, yeah. Something I see about people, um, the where Jesus cleans out the temple, makes me wonder, like, how long of a process that was for it for the temple to become a uh, a marketplace. Like from when it was first built, you know, I'm sure the temple, when it was first built, it was a temple. It was solely, you know, a place to worship and praise God. But then how long was it before the first guy to kind of set up his little tent and start selling stuff for sacrifices and then it to turn into a marketplace yeah. you know how long did that take and here you know i'm sure the people they saw it initially as a good thing oh or it just makes sense you know we're gonna make sacrifices yeah sure let's have it's actually commanded let's have you know this these sellers have animals ready for sacrifice mm-hmm. you know and it was it just kind of a good thing slowly soured and turned bad. That's exactly right. So I just wonder how long that was. And here, you know, Jesus comes in and tells them, hey, this is for praise and for worship. And you guys have 
Turned it into a marketplace. Yeah. Yeah, we see that so many places in current events and past events historically. I mean, these are good things that God's given us. Mm-hmm. Our hearts are imperfect, and so we twist them into something that is imperfect and actually offending. Mm-hmm. Offensive for God. Yeah, I guess to recap that thought, just how we can turn something good and turn it bad. Yeah. Like we turn God's gifts into mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. You hear Katie whispering into it. <laughs> Spying on it. I think something we learn about people and about God is like um, the Jews were supposed to understand Jesus coming. Um, like they are held accountable for rejecting him. Yeah. Um, they should have known it. Like the prophecies were very clear the Messiah would come, he'd be rejected, mm-hmm. all those things. Um, so yeah, I just feel like you see like the merging together of like God's sovereignty and like hiding this from them, but you also see their responsibility and that like they just rejected the Messiah. Right. Well, and you also have, like, predestination stuff comes into play there, too. It's true, yeah. Where, like, you have some people receive that message or are given or read through the prophecies, know them, and they recognize Christ. And some people know all the prophecies, see him fulfilling all of the signs that are said to be, that are going to be fulfilled. And yet, somehow they come away with a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And, yep. We see the concept of predestination and the way God predispositions our hearts to receive that information. I think we even see like the Lord's grace in this too. We have obviously these verses, but I'm sure a lot of these people that are probably crying out, crucify him, are probably some of the people that are going to make up the first church in like 50 days from this. Yeah. Or 60 days from this. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, they'll receive ministry from the apostles. Yeah. All right, so we'll move on to the last couple questions. Um, are there any sins to avoid, commands to obey, promises to cling to? I'm a bummy. You're a bum. I'm a monkey eating chips. You are a monkey. You're not sharing with me. Okay. <laughs> I think I know what Austin shared earlier about like looking for the You know, it's it's really just a, uh, them idolizing, you know, like making money and they're good and that type of thing. Um, it kind of it kind of reminds me of like some maybe a lot of churches that exist now. Yeah. That is like their focus on like marketing and how many members can they have and you know what's their image in the community. It's like in like church the church building 
you know, like we know that's not just like the only place where God is, but like where we're supposed to be worshiping, like the house of worship, but there's all this like corrupt corruption going on. Um, so I think that's like can be seen at larger scale, but also in our hearts. So we shouldn't uh, start a church and then open up a coffee shop in the front and we sell coffee. Well, I think even there, it's just like no no church starts with that with being their vision, but it's just so Mm -hmm. easy to subtly well, you take a good thing creep along, yeah. I think that that boils down to I mean what we see throughout the gospel, Jesus' message. You know, we have to be so careful about you know our actions are our actions. But our heart's intent is what God boils, he, he sees through us and into that. Yeah. And that's what he cares about in all of these things. I mean, they're really doing a good thing. They're, they're providing uh, the, the animals for sacrifice, which is uh, to reconcile you mm-hmm. to God, right? And this is a good thing for the Jewish people. Sacrifice is good. But the intention was that you bring something of your own. Mm-hmm from your, your home and you bring it into the temple and you present it before the Lord. And then instead of that, you had, you know, they calculated like what was the travel costs and all of these things that would be associated with so that you can save the time and hassle of carrying your own animal from your house and carrying it into the marketplace in the temple. And that way, you could just pick it up at the temple, you would pay your cost, you know, there to the sky and then Originally, they weren't making any profit from doing so. It was only covering expenses, but then they started adding on to that, and they were, they were making money on it. And uh, you know, they weren't supposed to be making any kind of profit from doing so, but that was kind of twisted, and, and lines were blurred, and things like that. So, uh, but you know, their intention wasn't pure anymore. I think if. I think if Jesus had walked into that marketplace and their true intention was to provide uh, available sacrifice for people like in, in the hearts of these guys selling stuff. Like if he had walked up to the guy uh, selling doves over here and like he would he would have been able to tell in this guy's heart like his true intention is just to be able to provide the ability to make sacrifice for people in the city. And for Jews to be able to be reconciled with God through sacrifice, so they can have a relationship with Him, right? And if He had been able to see into that guy's heart, you know, He'd have been like, "You can stay, keep selling doves," right? But that wasn't His intent. Like that wasn't in His heart, and that's why Jesus was so angry, because He knew that their intentions were not pure. They're just taking advantage. But I think if they had been, He would have spared them, right? That uh, retribution. So what are there sins to avoid, commands to obey, or promises to cling to? Or examples to follow. I don't know where this exactly falls, sin to avoid or command to follow or where exactly, but just something that stands out to me is when the 
Pharisees told him, teacher, make your disciples, or rebuke your disciples, make them quiet. Um, he replies, if they were silent, the stones would cry out. <coughs> um, I just kind of see that, you know, Jesus does deserve our praise. He does deserve our worship. And, um, you know, if we don't praise him, if we don't worship him, he's got the authority to cause the rocks to cry out. Mm-hmm. He's going to get his praise either way. Mm. Yeah. With or without us, yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah I think there's, a, there's also a similar void in like in worshiping God when he fulfills what our expectations of him are. And then seeking, you know, to, cruci- to crucify him or, or assassinate him when he doesn't fulfill those things like our ang- women of anger towards him. Expectations for what his mercy and grace should look like. But I think there's a symbol of worship. I think we can imitate Jesus weeping over the essentially the lost people, um, people that just don't understand who he is and what he's come to do. Um, I think in the same way you see Paul doing it, I think we should do it just like weep over the lost. Um, Cry out that the things that are hidden from their eyes would be revealed to their eyes. It seems like comparing this to other stories that we've read um, where Jesus tells the disciples to do something that seems like weird and they like question him and they're like, Jesus, how, you know, think about the lady with the 12 years of blood where he's like, who touched me? And they're like, what are you talking about? Like, that's the, yeah. But here, like, they tell him like, hey, go find this. He tells them like, go find this pole that's never been written and they just do it. They just obey. So they've like learned obedience. And obviously they like mm. they leave Jesus when he's being crucified, but it does seem like they've learned some obedience from watching what he's done. Yeah. So far. Yeah. And they'll do the same thing I think like in the next chapter or something with like go find the man with the water jar. Mm-hmm. Just, mm. They just do it. Yeah. They're starting to get used to this drill. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, I'm going to bring the Chosen up. i got to do it once a time. Once every time I leave. Um, in The Chosen, Jesus feeds the 5,000. It's like the last episode. And at the very end, Matthew, who's like just been questioning Jesus the whole time, he's finally like, I'm not even surprised anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, what? That's, that's kind of what it seems like. Mm-hmm. All right, we'll just go do it. Yeah, but well, we should follow their example of this. Obeying. Yeah, simple obedience. Not questioning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then we could even, you know, just this, the little bit where Jesus weeps over Jerusalem, um, correlate that to just our vision cast this morning, just weeping over Ramadan. Mm-hmm. So I think that, honestly, I think that's a really good word. Um, one of the like main things that um, Muslims deny is that Jesus was crucified and then he rose again. And it's just like, that's exactly what is happening here. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right. I think we should, that should still like break our hearts. Like They still reject the things that make for peace, which is Jesus' death and resurrection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, mm-hmm. it should be just a prayer for all on. That's good, man. Something else. Any final thoughts? 
just an interesting little fact that I learned when I was studying the before. I don't think I've talked about it, but when a king rode in on like a donkey into a city, it was like a peaceful coming of the king. But if a king came in on like a horse, it was like a domineering like takeover. Um, and so I just think that's always really interesting to think mm. about like how Jesus entered Jerusalem, like just by what he was writing and like what message that brings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the kings they were used to in their stories were kings like Saul and David that rode down their enemies and destroyed them, right? And the Romans were the enemies of Israel. They were so that's what they viewed. But instead of the king yeah. that they were thinking they were going to get, which would be like a king like David or something that would come in with an army and, you know, overthrow mm -hmm. their oppressors, right? And instead of that, they, they get a man who's going to come in and overthrow their true enemies. I think the, the failure, I, I guess, of the Pharisees and scribes was a recognition of what the true, their true enemy was, which was themselves, their own hearts, our own sin, that's our true enemy because at the end of the day, the thing that makes us suffer the most is our separation from God, which is caused from within ourselves, and the thing that saves us is that reconciliation, the thing that ties us back together with God, which is Jesus on the cross as a bridge, and, uh, and so death is the ultimate failure of the Jewish people in that moment in their time was the failure to recognize what their true enemy was uh, and what their true salvation was and what that should look like. Because they thought their true enemy was Rome. Their, their vision for the powers of play was so small. They had a, a struggle of, of the, their picture of the scale and that struggle was so small and, and thinking about politics and geopolitical stuff as you know the things that were really at play. But really what was God God has a lot higher of a battle going on. To close, I just wanted to read Psalm 118, or just the middle portion of Psalm 118, which is uh, where it's quoted from, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Um, so this, the Jews would have been very well acquainted with this psalm, and when they applied it to Jesus, they were declaring, like, this is the Messiah who's come. Um, but I just want to read, I'm going to start in verse... Uh, I'm going to start at verse 22. It says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horn of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Um, 
Yeah, I'm not going to unpack the psalm, but I just think it's pretty amazing. Um, right in the middle of it, it says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it's sandwiched by this Messiah being rejected, who's becoming the chief cornerstone. Um, and so it's like, Jesus knew it, but it was hidden from their eyes that this was how it had to be. So, uh, I'm going to pray, and then we can go into the last part. Father, thank you that you have, for our sake and for their sake, you hid it from their eyes and you caused Jesus to be crucified. Thank you that you made peace with us through his death and resurrection. That he who is the chief cornerstone was rejected and it's marvelous in our eyes, Lord. Amazing in our eyes, Lord. You chose that which was despised and rejected by men to be the the cornerstone on which you built your church and which you redeemed all humanity. God, we uh, continue to weep and to uh, be grieved by the hardness of man's heart, uh, whether it's Ramadan and the entire Islamic world still rejecting Jesus. Uh, whether it's the billions of people that are worshiping false gods of Hinduism or animism, uh, or just even just the atheist people that reject you still. Lord, our hearts are broken for them, and your heart is even more broken for them. We pray, Lord, would you have mercy on those who it's hidden from right now? God, would you use us to open people's eyes? mercy on us. Thank you for forgiving us our sins. I pray this week as we meditate on Jesus' final week before he's crucified, and next week as we rejoice in the resurrection, I pray that you would stir up in our hearts new affections and new loves for Jesus. I pray that in his name. Amen.